You're listening to the Global Vision Bible Church podcast, where broken people find new meaning to life. You're about to hear a message straight from God's Word, because at Global Vision, we believe in three things, biblical preaching, radical compassion, and extravagant generosity. Hey, at the end of this episode, I'd like to ask you to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we believe God's word still challenges perspectives, encourages hearts, and changes lives. Now let's head under the tent in Mount Juliet, Tennessee for this week's message from Pastor Greg Locke. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, even the Apostle Paul, under Holy Spirit inspiration, writing the Bible, called it the peace that passes all understanding. Even under Holy Spirit inspiration, Paul could not find the words to express the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring about in your life in the midst of turmoil. And by the way, that's when you need peace the most. And I really believe, like, Miss Monica said a moment ago, there's really a, a spirit of peace in this room today. And if you don't know the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'd be bopped into the right place for the right service because I believe God's going to set somebody free this morning. And if you just repent and believe the gospel, you can, you can get set free and you can get that peace that you've been longing for. You can't get that peace in a bottle. You ain't going to get that peace in a relationship. You won't get that peace because you get a lot of money. You get that peace because it comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. Uh, the old song, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. I want to invite you to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts this morning. If you turn there, Acts chapter number nine. For some of you, this will be a very familiar passage and story, but I want to really begin in our text this morning at the ending of the story and then back our way into the narrative as we expositionally go down through the text. But I believe this is what the Lord would have for us today. And so I, I trust that you'll get everything that you need from God, not from Greg. Amen. And I, I appreciate the people that come to hear us sing and hear me preach. But more than that, I appreciate the people that are here with a pure motive because they just want the Spirit of God to do something in their life. And I know many of you are from all over the country. As a matter of fact, I failed to do this during the offering. Let me do it right now just before we preach. How many of you are not from the state of Tennessee? We love to uh, show the Lord and everybody our visitors. Stand to your feet. If you're not from Tennessee, stand up all over this house just for a moment. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Every week it seems like more and more and more out-of-staters show up. We're honored to have you. Thank you so very much for being in the house of the Lord. Well, if you believe God's going to speak to you, would you shout Amen. Acts chapter number nine, let's all stand please out of reverence for the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin in verse number 13, unusually enough, and then as I said, we'll read down a few verses and then back up into the context here in just a moment. Acts chapter nine and verse number 13, the Bible says, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother... Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would work under this tent that you would move and you would motivate and you would convince and convict the hearts of men and women in a way that Greg Locke cannot. My ability to communicate is limited, but your power is unlimited, so fill me to overflowing with who you are, not who I am. And so, Father, I pray that as we look into the perfect word of the living God, that you would, like a great flood, wash us clean today. 
I pray for the thousands of people that are watching online that they would feel as if they were in the room with us right now. And Lord, for those in this room, captivate our hearts, stir our imagination for what could be if we would simply sell out and surrender to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remove distractions, keep them to a minimal so that we can focus by faith on the reason you brought us into this tent. So move today, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask these things and all of God's people said, in the book of Acts, you have in chapter 9 the conversion of a man by the name of Saul, who we know later was renamed as the Apostle Paul. It's very fitting that a man that had such a testimony of being wicked and vile and ungodly that was transformed by the power of the gospel would then say much later in his life in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, not in church, not in denomination, not in good works, not in the waters of baptism, not because of what country you live in, you are either in Christ and saved or you are out of Christ and you are lost and you better figure out which side you're on this morning. He said, if you are in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The word new means new in quality. Jesus changes the quality of a person's life. He does not just give you a little bit of heart surgery. He takes out your old heart, gives you a new start, and the Bible said you go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and how many of you can rejoice that Jesus has transformed your life by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. To God be the glory, he changes us. And so we see this man's conversion testimony. Do you realize that in the Bible, Three times in the book of Acts, once in the book of Galatians, and once in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul goes back and recounts his life story. He shares his testimony. So when he says forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, yes, there are some things that we need to forget, but you never need to get over where God brought you from by the power of his spirit. Don't ever forget who you were without God. And might I say this, don't ever forget who you still would be if it were not for the power and the movement and the transferring of the Spirit of God in your life. You wouldn't be in church shouting for the Lord, I guarantee you. Sometimes we walk around with our nose up in the air and we think we're all that and then some and we're better than everybody else and we see somebody that doesn't dress like us and live like us and act like us or they choose a different lifestyle than us and if we're not careful, we'll get that syndrome in which we'll look at them and we'll say, well, I never. Oh, yes, you would if it wasn't for the grace of God. You'd be sleeping with it. You'd be snorting it. You'd be drinking it. You'd be shooting it up. If it wasn't for God, I promise you, you wouldn't be here this morning. There's no doubt about that. Anything good in me, God did every bit of it. Anything rotten in me, Greg did every bit of it. And don't put your lip out because you a mess too. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul never got over where God brought him from. He shared his testimony everywhere he went. You know, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom the Lord hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. And sometimes we, we get to a place where we make excuses for why we don't share the gospel. Well, I just don't understand everything about the gospel. It's real simple. Here's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection. You tell people, Jesus died for you, Jesus was buried for you, and Jesus rose for you. That's the gospel. That's it. Nothing difficult about that. Uh, nothing convoluted about that. Paul said to the Galatians, I fear lest some of you fall through the simplicity that is in Christ. Stop making the Bible difficult. And so the gospel simple. You say, well, you know, I don't understand everything about John's highway or the Romans road. I can't quote all the Ten Commandments. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Tell people what he's done for you. That's how you share the gospel. You don't have to be a theological PhD that knows everything about the Old and New Testament. You don't have to know everything about prophecy. Open your mouth and say, look what Jesus has done for me. It's that simple. You say, well, I just don't have anything to tell anybody. Then you need to get born again. I'm so sick of this manby-pamby, limp-wristed culture that says, well, you know, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not. One day I'm in, one day I'm in. If you're born again, you'll know it. You remember the day that you met the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, you know, I was just born into a Christian family. I've just always been saved. Oh, no, you've always been lost, but you ain't always been saved. You get saved when you recognize you're lost and you need Jesus Christ. That's when you get saved. So you ought to have a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, you don't have a conversion experience because there is no one in the New Testament that couldn't remember when they met Jesus. You meet somebody big as Jesus, he'll kind of change your life. He'll kind of change your perspective. You will not have to ask a name tag of identification. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar rose up in haste. He looked down into the fiery furnace and the Bible in the Old Testament, Daniel 3 said, he saw the Son of God. Somebody's like, well, Brother Locke, let me dispensationally and theologically help you. There is no way he knew him as the Son of God because in the Old Testament, the Son of God had not yet been revealed. And so it's a misquotation. How did he know it was the Son of God? You ever get that close to Jesus, you won't have to ask. I'll tell you, that's how you'll know. Fooey on this crazy idea in Christianity that we can walk an aisle, sign a card, pray a prayer, raise a hand, join a church, and live any way we jolly well please. When you get born again, you'll be different. You won't be perfect, but when you repent, you will live a life that proves you repented, and you won't keep going back to all that nonsense God saved you out of. And so at the end of the day, we're going to see this radical, dramatic conversion of Saul to Paul. But notice, please, verse number one is where we'll pick up our reading. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. You know, sometimes we can minimize the past that Saul, yea, the apostle Paul had. The Bible uses the word slaughter. That's a big word. That's not a good word. It says, While he was yet breathing out threatenings. You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter five and verse number eight, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't save us because we were better than goody tissue individuals that had Sunday school lapel pins all the way down our jacket. He saved us because we were damned and doomed and depraved and disobedient. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You ain't got nothing to brag on but Jesus. You know, we sing that song, I woke up with heaven on my mind. Oh, no, you did not. You didn't wake up seeking God. You woke up with God seeking you one day. And Luke 19, 10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You are saved because of Jesus, not because of who you were, but because of who he is. And while he was yet breathing out punishment, persecution, and threatenings, while he was yet planning to destroy villages, we're preaching what we're preaching. The Bible says, and slaughter against the disciples. A man that became a disciple slaughtered people at one time in his life that were disciples. So some of you need to drop this nonsense. Well, I've just done so much. God could never save me. You've lost your mind. Some preacher told you that, but God never did. That didn't come from the spirit of God. I'm telling you, Paul was a murderer. He was a religious murderer killing people in the name of God, thinking he was doing God a favor. And he said while he was yet threatening, while he was slaughtering Christians, he went unto the high priest, and watch what he does in verse number two. And he desired of him, the high priest, letters to Damascus. And so he had to have a, a certificate of authenticity, if you will, to go down there and burn the villages and take everybody to jail and kill folks. So he devoured, desired him letters of Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, out loud church say this way, that is a phrase in the book of Acts that's exclusively used to refer to the gospel because they didn't understand what the gospel was. It was so new that the people that did not like it, the people that were not proponents of it would say this way or that way, right? Oh, we don't believe that way. We don't believe this way. They didn't know what to call it. They couldn't define it or describe it. And so they used it in context uh, in a way that uh, would denote disdain. It's not something they were happy about. And so he said, if I find anybody doing this way, doing church like this, whether they were men or women, 
he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. This cat was going to arrest people who were preaching Jesus because Jesus didn't fit their narrative. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus still does not fit their narrative. You know, you can talk about God anywhere you go. You, you go to your work tomorrow and you say something about God and you might get one or two eyebrows raised, but nobody will say anything. Listen, you get on an airline tomorrow and you start talking about God and they'll let it pass. But you start talking about Jesus, you start throwing around that name and you start saying Jesus is the name above every name and Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm telling you, this way or that way will get you in a big way with crazy people. Jesus does not fit the American narrative these days. He doesn't fit the narrative of politics. He doesn't fit the narrative of the Republicans. He doesn't fit the narrative of the Democrats. He just don't fit the narrative. And so therefore, if he doesn't fit the narrative, change the narrative. And I tell you, there's people out there that are doing their dead level, diabolical, bag of magic trick best to change the narrative. And some of us, have been called by God to expose the wicked, evil nonsense of the narrative because some of you have been under the delusion of the narrative far too long. So when the narrative doesn't fit, they just change it. They have to control the storyline. The problem with Jesus is he's bigger than the storyline. And so they said, look, if they're doing it the way we don't like it, let's bind these people up. Verse three. And as he journeyed, not days later, no, as he was going... He was bloodthirsty. He had murder on his mind. This guy was going to kill people. That's what his job was. Watch what happens. He came near Damascus and suddenly. Now, let's just stop right there. I love that word. That's the best word in the whole Bible as far as I'm concerned. Suddenly. Kaboom. Kapow. Out of nowhere. No prayer, no preemptive, no plan. Boom, just there, suddenly. God just kind of dropped the mic right on him. And every time you see that word in the book of Acts, you can know the Holy Spirit's about to show up, show out, and do something unbelievable. And I'm telling you what kind of church I want to pastor, a suddenly church. A church where just spontaneously revival can break out and suddenly God can have his way. We're not worried about trying to beat everybody down to the next restaurant. We're not looking at our watch for 30 minutes. When he going to hush? When he going to shut up? There's some big old doors on this tent. You don't have to stay the whole time. I've told you a hundred times. I'll tell you a thousand more. There's no seatbelts in them chairs. You can leave anytime you want. You're free to come. You're free to go. I didn't come to church to see how quick I could get out. I came to church to watch God work in my marriage. Watch God work in my family. God, God, watch God work in this place. I want to see people set free by the power of the gospel. You can't do that in a 30-minute message. We all come in in the American church like a bunch of robots. Beep, 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 beep. We know when to stand. We know when to sit. We know when to give. We know when to be greedy. Sometimes I want suddenly just to show up. Yeah. Invitation break out right during the song. Suddenly. People get right with God, get healed, get all kind of things from God during the message. Suddenly. And so God was about to give Saul, soon to be Paul, a sudden moment. It says there shine round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him Saul Saul notice God called him twice because men have a hard time listening the first time thank you ladies for shouting amen right there but I remind you he also said Martha Martha so he called her twice too <laughs> you in the same hard-headed boat we are before you start shouting up at his house <laughs> Saul, Saul, watch what the question is. Why persecutest thou me? Isn't it interesting? Jesus speaks in a very interesting person in the way he asks that question. Why are you persecuting me? Well, because he was messing with his kids. He said, why are you messing with my children? Why are you messing with my church? My new church at that. Why are you persecuting me? And I'm sure Saul thought to himself that that baptistic porky pig syndrome, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm persecuting you? Jesus said, look, when you touch my kids, you're touching me. 
When you mess with my body, you mess with me. When you mess with my church, you mess with me. That's why, by the way, we're going to stay baptized in boldness. We're going to stay biblical. We're going to control the narrative biblically and stay right. Because I'll tell you what, when they come against God's kids, they've come against Jesus. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? I didn't lose any sleep over haters and death threats last night. You know why? Because you mess with one of God's kids, you mess with Jesus. He'll take you to the woodshed and wear you out. Do not call thou unclean what God has called clean. And when you mess with the family of God, you better know you're messing with God himself. And Jesus, red letters out of his own mouth, said, why are you persecuting me when we know good and well what Jesus meant? Why are you messing with my kids? Why are you messing with my children? Because we know what the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every lying tongue that comes against you in the name of God, he said, I'll snatch it out of their throat and throw it to the ground. Quit worrying about all that criticism you get. Quit getting so discouraged over stupid, passive-aggressive Facebook posts. You just rock on in the name of God. You just go jam for the lamb and don't worry about what that crowd says. They'll devour themselves eventually because when people come against the work of God, they come against God himself. That's what the Bible says. So don't fret because at the end of the day, here's what a lot of you know that have moved here or been here a long time. Here's what you know. A church family is stronger than your blood family many times. It's the truth. It's the truth. And so he said, why are you messing with my children? Verse 5. And he said, who art thou, Lord? I'm glad Jesus knows who he is. I wish some preachers would figure it out. But I'm glad Jesus knows who he is. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, he ain't using the word pricks like you thinking about pricks. We kick against them jokers all the time. Say amen right there, huh? He's referring to the ox goads. He's referring to conviction. Do you know what was pricking his heart? He held the clothes for the murderous people on a rampage to take the life of Stephen, the first gospel martyr in the church world. And the Bible says on a number of occasions, they laid down their cloaks at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He watched a man die for what he believed in, and he couldn't get over that. And Jesus said, you know why you're miserable? Because the Holy Ghost is thumbing around in your heart. That's why. You know why you're miserable? Because like a movie in a rewinded DVD scene, you keep replaying over and over and over that guy that fell down and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he simply fell asleep when they were literally rocking his world with boulders. And man, it tore him up. He had basketball-sized ulcers. He couldn't sleep at night. He was sucking half a bottle of NyQuil to get three hours of sleep because the Holy Spirit kept on pressing him, kept on. He said, it's hard to kick against them ox goads. It's hard to kick against the pricks of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's why some of you can't sleep. Yeah, by the way, that's why some of you believers can't sleep because you're supposed to be doing something for God and the Holy Spirit keeps pricking your heart, pricking your heart, pricking your heart, but you're letting everybody else talk you out of what the Holy Spirit's done talked you into and you know it. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm so miserable. I can because can't nobody mess you up like God can mess you up. Oh, you can come to church, fake it till you make it, put on a Jimmy Carter smile, make me think you're all that and a bag of chips. But at the end of the day, when you go home, the Holy Spirit's like, pick, 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 pick. You read the Bible. You don't even like reading the Bible. You know why? Because every time you read it, it's like, pick, 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 pick. You like trying to sing in a shower. You can't even sing in a shower. You can't even enjoy a shower. You get in a shower, it's like, pick, 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 pick. You're driving down the road, you're like, why do I feel so discouraged? Brick, 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 brick. That's why. Because you're supposed to be obeying the Holy Spirit and you're not. And he said, it's hard. It's laborious. It takes work. It is exhausting to live in disobedience. You know that? It's liberating to live in obedience to God. But you will exhaust yourself burning the candle of life at both ends and blowing the smoke in God's face. You will exhaust yourself and frustrate yourself when you live outside of your calling, outside of your anointing, outside of your giftedness, and you're walking in the opposite direction that God's Spirit told you to walk. That's why some of you are miserable right now. 
That's why some of you cannot sleep, not just one night, but multiple nights, because every time you lay in your bed, brick, 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 brick. Hmm? Because God's trying to do something in your life and you're not allowing it to happen. And it is a laborious job to kick against God. You can turn me off all you want to, but you can't turn God off. Holy Spirit to go home with you. He's going to the restaurant with you. He's going home. He's getting in the bed sheets with you. He's walking the dog with you. He's going to the ball field. He's going to the movie theater. He's going everywhere you go. And it's hard to fight against God's work. It's hard. Well, watch this. Verse 6, and he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, I find it interesting. That was his very first response. Once he found out who Jesus was, he's like, okay, whatever. I'll do it. Sign me up. Where you lead me, I will follow. What you feed me, I will swallow. Let's roll. Let's go right now, God. What wilt you have me to do? That's a good question. Some of you need to be asking right now. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do, God? Now, here's the problem. A lot of you are looking for something specific, but you're not there yet. Because God will never reveal to you something specific until you just give a generalized surrender and a submission and say, God, I don't care what you tell me specifically. I'll do anything you tell me, no matter what it is. I'll rake leaves. I'll clean toilets. I'll preach. I'll sing. I'll play. I'll dance. I'll do what you say. I don't care what it is. When you get there, you're going somewhere. People ask me all the time, how can I know the specific will of God for my life? Be willing to do anything and God will get specific. Just be willing to surrender and God will get specific. He wants to know that you will do whatever he asks, no matter how difficult it is. Everybody wants to surrender when it makes them money. Everybody wants to surrender when their friends and their family are cool with it. Everybody wants to surrender when the path is less rocky and less elevated and it's clear. Everybody wants to surrender like that. God wants to know if you'll surrender when things get bad. And I'm not going to be a doomsday prophet, but I'm here to tell you right now, things are going to get a whole lot worse than they are right now. And if you can't see the handwriting on the wall, you have not been reading a Bible. You have not been reading the Bible. I repeat, you have not been reading the Bible. It's going to get bad. It's going to be a weird Christmas. If you think all this stuff we're watching right now in the news, number one, is real, <laughs> you're crazy. But number two, if you think this stuff is by accident, you've lost your mind. This is purposeful. God is going to find out the level of dedication that his church really has. I watched a video a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Danny, I even said a word about it. But I watched a video where five years ago, almost to the date, five years ago, I said, let's give it five years and we'll find out in America who really loves God and who really loves the local church. And here we are. Here we are. Warning, screaming, rebuking, traveling all over the planet and the nation, telling people, wake up, pay attention, read your Bible, turn off the news, quit worrying about what Twitter and Facebook and Zuckerberg says. I'm telling you, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You gotta pay it. We've been warning, 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 warning. And now all of a sudden, not only are we full now, you give it a few months and this tent is gonna fill up with all the people that said, oh, they told us so. They told us so. And it's not about we told you so. It's about God told you so. You better pay attention. You better put your boots on, friends, because some crazy stuff's on the way. Some crazy stuff on the way. And if you think I'm crazy by saying that, then you're just not paying attention, and that's cool. But I'm going to just look crazy. But I'm going to be surrendered to do whatever God wants me to do, no matter what it is, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it gets. And it's going to get bad. And you better make up your mind whose side you're on. Let me stop and say this. I know a lot of people hate when people say that. Well, you know why you got to choose sides? Because God said so. He said, you're for me or against me. The line's been drawn in the sand, religiously, politically, and in every other way. Choose whose side you are on. Pick a side and stand there. If you want to pick the side of evil, then you pick the side of evil. Dig your heels in and prepare. Just go right ahead. But don't drag me into your wicked nonsense. 
I'm going to choose the side of Jesus. I'm going to choose the side of righteousness. I'm going to choose the side of holiness. I'm going to choose the side of having to be persecuted. I'm going to dig my heels in, and I ain't going to move. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I ain't going to be moved no matter what you say. It's been a crazy week in the news media. That MAGA pastor. That MAGA pastor. It's been everywhere. They've used everything in the world against us this week. They really loved that nonsense this past Wednesday night when I called Nancy Pelosi a demon-possessed pedophile. They thought that was amazing. Just for the record, she's still a demon-possessed pedophile. I just thought I'd share that with you. But you better make up your mind whose side you're on. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Exactly what I said. I don't side with baby killers. Do you hear me? I don't side with that Hollywood crowd. I don't side with cancel culture. You know why cancel culture don't scare me? Because I don't bow to the culture. What are they going to do? Make you quit coming? That's on you, not me. If you, if you could still see what's happening and believe their nonsense, then you probably don't need to be here know-how. You deluded. You dangerous to yourself. If you can't see the nefarious plan of what is happening right now to take over the minds of this generation and destroy our children, you are deluded. You are deluded. Anyhow, I just thought I'd share a little bit of that because you better figure out whose side you're on. So stop asking God to show you specifically if you're not willing to do whatever he wants you to do generally. Just be willing to do all of it, every bit of it. What would you have me to do? And the Lord said, check this out. Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Most of us would have hated that answer. Wasn't specific enough. What do you want me to do, Lord? Get up, dust yourself off, and go on to town like you was going. And when you get there, we'll chat about it. And people say I fly by the seat of my britches. Apparently the Holy Spirit does too. What do I do, Lord? What do I do? The same thing you know to do every day of your life. Get up. Go to work. Love your family. Read your Bible. Pet your dog. Eat your lunch. Pray your prayers. Drive back home. Repeat course. Just do what you're supposed to do, and God will show you what you're supposed to do. Everybody's looking for something spectacular when what they do is just simply say, Lord, here I am. El Capitan, I'll do it, Lord. I'll sign up. Pick me, pick me, pick me. And God says, oh, okay, I will. Just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Everybody's like, well, you know, I just need to know what God wants me to do in the next 20 years. No, you don't. If you ain't serving God the next 20 minutes, the next 20 years don't matter no how. Young people ask me this all the time. Well, you know, what you reckon the Lord wants me to do when I'm 25? I don't care. Do what you're supposed to do when you're 18. Don't worry about when you're 25. But we had this idea. Well, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have 37 kids. I'm going to get this good high-paying job. When I'm 25, 28, 32, 42, one day I'll serve God. That is Tommy Rot nonsense. If you ain't serving God in 15 minutes, you ain't going to be serving God in 15 years. It don't start later. It starts now. It don't start when you get more money. It don't start when you get a driver's license. It don't start when you get a better job. It don't start just because, you know, things get better economically. It starts now. What do I do, Lord? Get up and go to town, and when you get there, we'll talk. That's what God said. Most people don't like those answers, but they're good answers. So it helps me when I have no idea what you're supposed to do when you come to my office. I'm like, get up, go home, and we'll talk. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And, and on that note, can I say this? If you don't come on Wednesdays, you're missing it around here. I know everybody thinks these crowds are the bread and butter of what God's doing at Global Vision. If you are missing Wednesday night, it is the cream of the crop of what is happening in this church. Now, it's filling up about like this on Wednesday night. I'm Wednesday night is unbestinking leaveable. Is that the King James? Unbestinking leaveable. We got communion every single Wednesday night. We see God show up and show out every single Wednesday night. So someone is like, well, what am I supposed to do to serve the Lord? Come to church more than once a week would be a good start. I'm about to moonwalk up here. It's so slick. Whew. 
Y'all got me stirred up. Verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him. See, he took a little posse with him, had a little crew to go kill folks. They stood speechless. Hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. That's what God told him to do. And when his eyes were opened, watch this. He tries to open his eyes. He saw no man. So he opened the lids, but the pupils were closed up. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And I do want to say this because it's important to the context. Sometimes God will give you, if you will, partial blindness to what's going on around you. Because you don't have the capacity to handle what God wants to do inside of you. Some of you have been praying for a great, big, huge, magnanimous work of God that you're not ready for yet. So God's had to blind you a little bit to that magnanimous work so he can get you big enough and stretch you large enough so you can handle all that God wants to dump into you. Because if God opens your eyes too early, it blinds you. If God opens your heart too early, some of the things you're praying for are progressive. You'll get there, but you've got to grow into it. You got to grow into it. And so God had to blind him for a few moments and they led him by the hand. They brought him to Damascus and he was there for three days without sight. Neither did he eat or drink. So he's fasting. He's blind as a bat. Verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision. By the way, not the same Ananias of chapter 5 that dropped dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit. Apparently, weird names were like cool in the Bible. So, And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and I love this, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. You say, well, you know, God just don't speak to me a whole lot. It's because the way you answer him when he does. Holy Spirit said, Ananias, he's like, yes, sir, I'm ready. Signing up. What is it today, Lord? See, it wasn't specific. It was general. He called him. And the reason God doesn't keep calling and keep speaking is because the last five times he did, you ignored him. Well, you know, what would my spouse think? They're probably praying that you would get right with God because you're making your life at home miserable because they know you've been running from the Holy Ghost. And so you're a jerk all the time because of it. Right? Don't die on me now, praise God. I got 20 more minutes left in me. 35 or 40 if you keep that up, but nonetheless... Right here in the context, he said, Ananias, he said, yes, sir. What can I do? Remember how Samuel got called? Oh, young Samuel was just a child. He was sleeping in the, in the extra chamber over in the temple. And the high priest was up in there, and he was in the bed. And one night, little Samuel heard, Samuel. And he got up, and he ran up in the preacher's room, and he said, hey, how can I serve you, preacher man? He's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Oh, okay. I'm crazy. Ate too much peanut butter before I went to sleep. Granny says that'll give you bad dreams. He went back, laid back down. Samuel, Samuel. Woo, that's got to be Eli. So he runs back. Hey, Pastor Eli, what can I do? I need to shine your shoes. Do I need to help you? You need some scrambled eggs? What you need? <laughs> I didn't call you. Go back to bed. By this time, he's scratching his head in bewilderment, thinking he's crazy. He goes back, lays down. But Eli said, hey, hey, if it happens again... If it happens again, and it will, because you keep answering, you just don't know what you're answering to. It was all in the way he responded. He was willing to do whatever, no matter who was calling him. He said, if it happens again, son, and it will, know this. You just say, uh, here, my Lord, speak to me. So he goes, lays back down. Samuel, Samuel. Little dude jumped plumb up out the bed in his PJs and said, here, my Lord. What, what, what you need, Lord? God needed a prophet. That's what he needed. And God gave us 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and a man that was willing to have a rod iron backbone walk right into the golden throne room of King David, stick his long bony evangelistic finger in his face and he told a man by the name of Nathan, you will be this prophet. And Samuel became the prophet that raised up all the other prophets in the Old Testament. He became a mighty man of God. But he started with just a little kid about 12 years old. How, how can I help you? God said, ooh, I got the right one. He's eager. He's ready. Well, Ananias had that eagerness. He said, here, my Lord, send me. What do you want? I'll do whatever. But now it's going to get dangerous. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, arise. Go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. 
For behold, he prayeth. Now, when he heard that, I'm sure it sent his antennas off because this guy was not known for praying. He was known for killing people that prayed. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. Notice how specific that was. He said, he's been there blind for three days, fasting, praying. And I gave him a vision and told him a dude named Ananias is going to come walking in. Now, that's pretty specific right there. God named Ananias going to walk in, put hands on him that he might receive his sight. Notice, please, the apprehension, even of a godly man. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. He said, Lord, now wait a minute. I know you've never made a mistake, but maybe right now it's questionable. Because I've been reading the newspaper and I've been checking people's Facebook status and this guy has been killing folk for a long time. He has been making havoc of the church in Jerusalem. And I, I just want to make sure we got the same guy here. I'll make sure we got the same phone number in the contact information. Are you sure this is the one? I've heard some crazy things. Verse 14. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So he's like, well, Lord, listen, maybe this is a setup and you just didn't see it. You know, we think like that, don't we? You ain't got to put your lip out. You think that way and so do I. We're like, well, you know, Lord, we know better than you. You know, you, you got the wrong one here, God. I mean, come on. I mean, g g give me a break. I mean, this guy's been murdering people. He, he's got certificates in his pocket to take people to jail. And so this is probably a setup. And I can see it coming for you can. And sometimes we think we're more spiritual than the Holy Spirit. We, we think we got one over on God. Well, you know, I'm just so super mighty. I'm so super duper supernatural. I'm so super spiritual. You can't teach me anything. That is a very poor place to live your life. I'm growing. You're growing. We're growing. Folks online are growing. We should all be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18. If you know everything, this is not the church for you. This is not the tent for you. This is not the campus for you. I'm not the pastor for you. If you know everything, I can't help you. God wants to, but God won't help you either because he don't mess around with stubborn knotheads. God will let you try to figure it out after a while. And after a while, when you get egg all over your face and realize that the doormat of grace has been ripped out from under the front door of your house, you'll figure out very quick that without him, you are nothing and you can do nothing and you'll never accomplish anything. And so he's like, wait a minute, Lord. I've heard some crazy stuff about this guy, verse 15. But this is where we started a moment ago. The Lord said unto me, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Let me tell you something. When God puts his hand on something, how dare you put your hand on it? When God puts his hand on someone, I'm not going to circumvent the power of God in their life. I remember years ago when we first started this church. Matter of fact, we were getting ready to start this church. I went to my then pastor. And I thought he would be like, well, you know, Greg, it's all good. You know, you've been an evangelist for 10 years. You're super successful. And, you know, we've, we've kind of helped create you in this whole, you know, Baptist realm and all of this. And so I, I thought he'd be like, yeah, let's, let's pray about this. Let's fast. Let's, let's kind of work through this. You know, I, I think this, this, this will be good, but let, let's have some long-range goals. That, that's what I expected in the meeting. I mean, I poured out my heart for 35, 45 minutes. And I mean, I said, look, this is what God wants me to do. I know it's going to be a big risk. And I, I don't have no support. I don't even have a name for the church at this point. I'm going to walk away from successful evangelism. I mean, I was preaching all over America, 50 weeks a year, revival weeks. I was booked three or four years in advance, and we were doing fine. And I remember I shared my heart. I mean, just bore my soul, cried like a little baby. And I remember as soon as I got done, the first thing that happened, he sat up in his chair and he said, you know, I'm in a $4 million building program right now and I ain't got time for problems like this. And if the Holy Ghost didn't tell me that you're supposed to start a church, I'm your spiritual authority and I'm telling you right now, you are not supposed to start a church. And so you just sit down and you speak when you're spoken to and you stay in evangelism because that's what God's called you to do. Now, let me tell you what that experience taught me. Number one, how not to pastor people. Woe be unto me if I tell you something anti-Holy Spirit that he's already told you. Who do I think I am? That's a little bit too big for your boots and your britches. Who am I to put my hand against someone that God has placed his hand upon? Who am I to say, oh, that cannot be the work of God. Whereas for years, I would say that. 
oh, people can't really be healed. That ain't the work of God. Oh, what, what, what do you mean that supernaturally happened in somebody's life? Oh, that's in the New Testament. We still living in a New Testament day. The book of Acts didn't have a ending. It had a to be continued. We're Acts chapter 29 right now. Still watching. These signs shall follow them that believe, the Bible says, not them that preach. Who are we to raise our hand against what God has already blessed with his hand? And so there was a, a moment here where God had to give some real clarity. He said, he's a chosen vessel for me. Why? To bear my name before, watch this, three groups, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He's going to be an apostle to the Gentiles to provoke the jealousy of the Israelites. And in the meantime, I'm going to raise him up and I'm going to let him preach the gospel to kings. And did he not? Even Agrippa said, whoo, almost you've persuaded me to be a Christian. They didn't know what to do with this guy except just stand him up on a podium and let him talk. And you give a guy that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and a love for the gospel a microphone to talk, you better look out. That joker going to talk. Matter of fact, the only way to stop him was to cut his head off. Now, I can't prove this, but I think his lips moved for 25 minutes once they did it. Amen. <laughs> I know mine would. <laughs> I ain't quitting. <laughs> I ain't quitting. <laughs> so he said he's going to be apostle to the Gentiles, the kings, the children of Israel. For I will show him. Watch this. I love how this is red letters in the Bible. I will show him. God's going to show Paul how great things, say great things, he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, there it is. Everybody thinks being called to great things excludes suffering. You don't enter into the great things without suffering. Now, I know this is a special understanding of what Paul was receiving by way of direct inspiration and revelation from God himself. I get it. I understand what the Spirit's saying. I can read a Bible like you can. He said, I'm going to let this man know how many great things he must suffer, not for his own sake, but for my sake. And did you know that the church today is who she is because of the writings and the sufferings of the Apostle Paul? He said, I've been hungry. I'm naked, in peril. Lions have come after me. The Romans have come after me. They tried to persecute me. They tried to kill me. They put me in jail. Do you realize he wrote 14 books of the Bible and three-fourths of them were written from a jail cell, not a Hilton High Rise hotel? This dude didn't know what a T-bone steak was, man. Three hots and a cot for three-fourths of his ministry. Shipwreck, fed by barbarians, bit by a viper. This guy went through some suffering, some hardships, some problems. Had bad eyes, we see in the context of Scripture. History tells us he was a little old hunchback short guy. You know, we think of the Apostle Paul. He looked like a, an NFL football player. He looked like a quarterback preaching the gospel. No, he even said, when you see me, I'm pretty base. He's like, when you look at me, I'm just not a whole lot. He didn't even have a real boisterous, booming, bass-filled voice. We would see Paul walk on the platform and be like, <laughs> what? Who is this Farmer, backwoods, redneck with bulging eyes and a bowed back. And here comes Paul. And he'd open that Bible and preach like a wild man. Didn't even use good contextual verbiage. I would say English, but he wasn't speaking English. I mean, in his context, he'd be using words like ain't. He'd be using, you know, split infinitives, whatever that is. He'd say something about an adjective when he meant an adverb, and everybody'd be like, This hillbilly. Who in the world does he think? It doesn't matter who he thought he was, God knew who he was. He was chosen by God to suffer for the gospel, and the falling out of his suffering became the betterment of the churches. He said it three times in the Bible. Because of my jail time, you heard the gospel. Because of my beatings, you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of the falling out of my life, it has furthered the context of Jesus. And some people, especially in these days, are going to be called the deeper levels of discouragement and suffering. And that's why you better learn to encourage yourself in the Lord, because not everybody's going to be there for you when the boat starts sinking. 
Thank God for good people that are row with you. But sometimes you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. And some of you have been called to deeper levels of loneliness. You know, I read a book years ago and never understood its context until now. It says, it's lonely at the top. And that's okay. It's interesting that when you have a calling from God, not just me, you, all of us, right? It's interesting that when you have a calling from God, you can walk into a room like this that is filled to overflowing with people and feel like the loneliest person on the planet. Because it's not about all the crowds. It's about the process that God works in your life to get the crowds there to begin with. If you think people just showed up one day willy-nilly for no reason, then you've not been watching long enough. Okay, there's been many a service where this one little pie-shaped section over here would have been an, a huge Easter Sunday service in that little wedding chapel. Am I telling the truth? I mean, th there was a time that I thought if that many people came to church, we ought to be on TV. <laughs> Woo! That's a mega church. Right? Just that little bitty old sliver, a little bitty old handful of people. And so people have to really be opening their eyes and paying attention to what God has done in the context of this ministry. The times we thought nobody was coming or nobody was coming back. The times that we would pull up in the parking lot and cry for 15, 20 minutes, slumped over the steering wheel, thinking to ourselves, is anybody ever going to show up? Yeah. I mean, if we baptized one person a month, we were lickety split thinking revival had broke out. But at the end of the day, what we found is that sometimes God will call you to deep levels of suffering and loneliness so that you will appreciate the crowds when they actually start showing up. Because if God gave some of you right now what you wanted right now, the right now would destroy you because you've not gone through enough process to attain the power. Because if God gives you the power without the process, it'll crush you, not elevate you. It'll crush you, not elevate you. And so notice... Finally, once he tells him what needs to be done, this is one of the most remarkable and moving verses. Matter of fact, these are two of my favorite words in the whole Bible right here. I'm going to show them to you. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, watch this, brother Saul. Woo, that was a release right there. That was a divine moment of revelation from God right there. He's like, Lord, I don't know about this guy. He said, don't you worry about you knowing about him. I know about him. And I'm about to change the world with that man right there. So you do what I tell you. He walked in that room, went over, laid his hands on him, and two words came out of his mouth that changed the trajectory of the whole Bible. Brother Saul. You let them two words just marinate in your heart for a minute. Murderer, Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew, the Hebrew, knew the Bible and hated God. Sound familiar? Wicked, burned down villages, dragged men, women, and children, screaming off to prison. Kill people for the gospel. Think he was doing God a favor. Wicked, deviant, vile, ungodly. And this guy walks in lays hands on him and says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. In that one moment, the rest of your Bible is never the same. Because of one man's radical transition from death unto life. From wickedness to righteousness. From hating God to being hated for God. Brother Saul. Never again, I say this quickly, we move on. Never again discount the phrase when somebody says, brother or sister, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family in the body of Christ. When I call you brother, when I call you sister, it's reverence. We're in the same family. Brother Saul. And I'm sure that 
shook old Saul a little bit. A disciple calling him brother. And the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee, verse 17, in the way that thou camest, he hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately, not five months later, not when he got on a payment program, not when he went through a six-month discipleship course. You know, I have people say all the time, uh, you know, I, I, I've been saved, but I was wondering if we came to your church, would you baptize us? Because my pastor says I got to wait like six months to a year to prove myself. You show me that in the Bible, and I'll quit preaching. <laughs> Baptism is the proving of yourself. That's why you do it. That is the proving of your discipleship. That's why you do it. You publicly show what he's privately done and it don't stay private no more. Go through a discipleship program to get baptized. That's dumber than a box of rocks. Immediately there fell scales from his eyes as it had been scales. Or fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith arose and was baptized God opened his eyes at the right moment in the right time in history, laid hands on him, said, Brother Saul, this is why God sent me. He brought his sight back. He rose up and he went and he got baptized to fulfill the scriptures and the prophecy that had already been spoken over this man's life. And he got baptized, got his sight back, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, if there's ever a day that we needed God to open our eyes, it's today. Some of you have been resting long enough. Some of you had your eyes closed long enough. We're being deceived, people. We're like sheep being led to the slaughter. They're enjoying watching the demise and the destruction of this nation and ultimately because of this nation, the entire world. We could talk about this, preach on this, rant on this, rail on this, pray about this all day long into the night. You know where I stand on all of the issues. But it's time for God to open our eyes. It's time for him to open our eyes so that we can see the host of angels that are protecting us this very second and the host of demons that want to destroy and come against our family and come against our home and come against this campus and come against this town and come against this nation. I'm telling you, if we could see it, if we could cut into the heavenlies right now, it would shock us to the core at the spiritual warfare all about us. And I say, God, open our eyes. We got to quit believing what the media says. We got to quit believing what all the documentaries say. We got to quit believing what Hollywood's telling us. We got to quit believing what the singers are telling us. We got to quit believing what man's telling us. Even if it's me, we better have our eyes open and hear what God's revealing to our hearts. I'm still fully convinced that this is just the beginning, not just here, but around the world of what God wants to do with a revival. But I do not believe we are through the tyranny. I do not believe we are through the persecution. I do not believe that we are through the dark, deviant times. It is going to get worse and worse. And the strong delusion will be the very thing that wakes some people up whereby the revival is going to flow. And God is going to bring people to this house and other places that are standing for truth. Because once your eyes are open, you can never go back to the delusion. You can never go back to the nonsense. You can never go back to the lies. You can never go back to the tyranny. Once you've been set free by the power of the gospel once you've seen the power of the local church once you've seen people saved and healed and baptized and set free once you've seen crack addicts get clean once you've seen God do things in people's life you can't go back to who you used to be you can't go back to the way things were I'm not trying to go back to normal I'm trying to bring in supernatural by the power of God ladies and gentlemen and I believe with all of my heart, this is just the beginning. This is just the groundswell for how God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And I say today, get on your feet, church. Let's give Jesus praise in this house. Let's give Jesus glory in this house. Let's give Jesus honor in this house. Let's give Jesus reverence and respect in this house. How many of you believe today that God is going to open our eyes? Shout amen in this house. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's message from God's Word. This podcast is a ministry of the Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. To find out how you can partner with this ministry or plan your visit to the Revival Tent, visit us online at globalvisionbc.com. There you can find links to all of the social medias. You can see what's happening on campus and learn everything you need to know about GVBC. We can't wait to see you there.